Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. It's time to attend you when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Christmas is coming early for Boris Johnson this morning. Uh, he's presenting his Brexit withdrawal bill to a parliament that will actually vote for it. With a majority of 80, the journey to leave the European Union will be well underway by the end of the day. They're going to vote at around about 2.30. Uh, and as you heard from Charlotte Ivers there, there is not going to be any amendments put through. Uh, there is not going to be any massive time frame problems because they all want to get home for the weekend, of course. And we'll be reporting for you all the way through today's show until 1 o'clock precisely just how bad it is out there because Gatwick Airport uh, is pretty well unreachable by train if you're trying to get there from Brighton or if you're trying to get there from London. It is available and to be reached by the Gatwick Express. If you have to go to Victoria, you can do that. But whatever it is, it's going to take a much longer time. There are road closures all over the southeast of England uh, and there are traffic problems all over the country as well. We'll bring those to you uh, in the company of Emily Rose Adams uh, as we go. All the talk this morning, of course, is about the significant alterations to the bill since the election. We are already moaning about the stripping out of workers' rights protections, the removal of Parliament's say on a future relationship, and the insertion of a ban on extending the Brexit transition period beyond December 31st next year. But guess what? Jeremy Corbyn can complain until he's blue in the face which he pretty much isn't far away from being, uh, because Boris Johnson can do exactly what he likes. All those people who claim Boris could make Brexit softer uh, by uh, getting rid of the ERG's mentioning of the, uh, of the word hard Brexit. In fact, he's gone the other way and made it slightly harder. We're going to be talking to Katie Perrier, former Downing Street Communications Chief, of course, 0344. 499-1000. Coming up, we'll also be telling you why more people have been tasered by the police in the last uh, 20, uh, 24 months than there have been ever before. And also, uh, we'll be talking about what's in the Sunday Times magazine with Eleanor Mills uh, coming up a little bit later on in this hour. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. 
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say it's time to welcome Katie Perrier, uh, who was on this very radio station just last night, I think, to talk to me this morning about the way forward. Katie, very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. I've had a little bit of sleep. Have so, you? Yeah, back on it today. Oh, good for you. Well, I was at Piers Morgan's party last night. I didn't see you there. Get you? I was on the radio. I was working for a living. Well, you could have come over after that, couldn't you? Well, you know, I'm tired. I mean, we finally made a lunch date, right? First one this year for, for earlier this week. And I had to cancel it because I thought I was going to have to interview somebody, right? Who then didn't show up for the interview. No. Can you believe that? You're kidding me. I was I'm really looking joking. forward to our catch-up. I know. Well, we're going to have to do it in a new well, year. You saved yourself a few quid, Mike, because it was your turn to buy. Was and it? I'm yep, and I'm telling you now, oh, I was dear. in the mood for a drink. So. Well, I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to have to go to the cabbie's rest because uh, I've got a big tax bill to pay and <laughs> I'm afraid I can't be entertaining <laughs> you. It's that time of the year. Very bad news. Anyway, listen, let's talk about the uh, brilliant strategy that's come out of Downing Street um, in the past year because there's no question about it, is it? that The strategy from Dominic Cummings and the team at number 10 has completely wiped Jeremy Corbyn and Labour off the face of the earth. Oh, it's been slick. It's been professional. It's been disciplined. And, uh, you know, I love... I, I, I kind of... I'm envious because I would have loved to be in part of that team in a way yeah. because I wanted that structure when I was at number 10. I wanted to kind of, you know, I'm kind of stickler for the rules and the rules are the rules and the rules are that you don't leak, you don't misbehave, you don't act out of turn because you, there are consequences and they have shown in the past that they will they deliver on those consequences and therefore people do fall in line. You know, cabinet ministers now are all looking and thinking, well, I want to be in charge of one of these super departments when they come. So I'm going to, you know, behave, fall in line, do my hard work, keep my head down. You know, do as I'm asked and as I'm told, and hopefully, you know, we'll reap the rewards after Christmas. And so, actually, I think they do go into Christmas in pretty good shape. They do, and for the first time, and I said I was down in Westminster yesterday in the tent, and people was I was talking to a lot of, of Tory MPs, and I said it seems to me for the first time in a very long time as well, the Tory party is actually quite united. Oh, absolutely. And what it, what it does show you, I mean, Theresa May had did speak yesterday and kind of reflected on the fact that, you know, this was the victory she wanted in 2017. It's just that, you know, the candidate wasn't up to it. It does show you what a bit of optimism can do. Mm. And the one thing about Boris Johnson that, you know, no one can take away from him is that, you know, he naturally bounces into the room. He's naturally kind of, come on, guys, we can do this. And during his time as London mayor, you know, people would kind of look at him thinking, you know, is this an act or is it the real deal? That is the real deal. That is Boris Johnson. So, um, and I think that he's trying to inject a bit of that in the nation, which is we've been down in the, on, in the dumps for too long. We have been, you know, there's been stalemate in Parliament. We haven't had the kind of business uh, investment from around the world that, that we need and we want to go into 2020 with. This is the time, this is the place to, to invest. I've now got customers and clients at my business who are saying to me, look, right, I'm not a massive Tory. I actually didn't vote Boris Johnson. Um, I believe in democracy. We are where we are now. And you know what? I'm actually excited about yeah. it. I think there's something worth play, get, getting stuck in for. Well, I was very impressed, for. actually, with the Queen's speech yesterday because it sounded to me, and I said this actually to Bob Seeley, um, that there was a bit of a sort of Blairite 1997 feel uh, to it all because it all sounded a little bit like a, new re a renewal, a kind of a, a retreading of, of the way that the government has been running this country for the best part of the last five to maybe even ten years. It just feels young. It feels a bit youthful. It feels a bit optimistic. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it feels that there is a... I think it's come at the right time of the year, you know, how people have get out of bed and think, right, OK, new year, new start. That's how this government's feeling. It's new year, new start. It's time to go away, do your homework 
get your work done, come back fresh in the new year and tackle these things. People complained and said that Boris Johnson's manifesto was a little bit light. Yes. But actually, the Queen's speech has been very, very heavy yes. compared to previous years. But There's I think, a lot in it. But I think also that was strategic in, in a way from Downing Street because it showed that basically get Brexit done was the mantra. Get Brexit done was the only message they wanted to, to put out there. And they didn't really want to complicate the manifesto with other stuff. They did absolutely the right thing strategically. Manifestos are only read by people that want to pick holes in it. They're not read by the general public. Yeah. The general public has what I call the sniff test, which doesn't sound all that tempting on radio. But doesn't. basically, they, they you know whiff you and they think, we either like what you're saying, we think you're right, or they think... There's something not quite right about yeah. you. Uh, and that's what they felt about Jer Jeremy Corbyn, and it showed. And a manifesto, it doesn't really you know, alter that one way or another. There is something not quite right about Jeremy Corbyn, and I can say it now because we're no longer in an election period. I mean, watching him coming out of his front door, I don't know if you've seen the most recent video, where he's in a total rage, right? He slams the door of his car, mutters under his breath, I'm pretty sure uh, a swear word to the journalist who's doing his job, asking him a question, he's paid by the public purse, you know, the journalist is entitled to be there asking it to, uh, to him, and he's just so angry and grumpy, you just wonder what the hell he's doing, even still thinking about hanging in there. When I used to say to Jeremy Corbyn and, and John McDonnell, if I was ever in media studios with them, you know, you have clearly been taught how to take the chill pill or the mindless lessons are working, because you come across in the last few years as softer, yeah. nicer, we are not anybody to be scared of. We are people that are going to you know, deliver on those public services. And they had been taught that because underneath it all, Jeremy Corbyn, I don't think he's actually that nice a man. Mm. You know, I remember being running Boris Johnson's campaign in, for the London mayoralty. And one thing that Ken Livingston was trying to pin on us all the time was that Boris Johnson's a nasty man. And I used to just sit there and laugh and think this stuff isn't touching us because you can say all kinds of things about Boris and a lot of them will be correct. But one thing is not right is that he's an angry or he's a kind of not very nice, nasty no. man. He's actually, at the core, he's sometimes too nice. And we'd sit around him saying, look, you know, you've got to go in harder on that debate. Yes. Or you've got to land that point a little bit better. He's quite, you know, inside he's quite, um, uh, you know, quite gentle in, in a way. Well, he's quite a civilised character as yeah, well. I mean, absolutely. I know you've always said that about your time with him in City Hall. But I think the problem as well, um, for, for when Jeremy Corbyn came out the day after and, and, and sort of said basically it was all the media's fault that he had been suffering. Uh, and had been under the cosh by the media because they'd said these terrible things about what, him. What, in Perda? Yeah, well, really. Yeah, really. And also, I was like, well, hang on a minute. You're the people who have been saying that everybody knows Boris Johnson can't be trusted, that he's a known liar, uh, that he's somehow somebody who was sacked from his job for lying. He's a guy that is not fit to be Prime Minister. You know, they seem to forget that the, you know, the attacks went both ways. Oh, absolutely. The muddling. I mean, the fact that the NHS is going to be sold to the Americans as well, which was just an absolute lie from a day crock, one. A crock, as we say in America. a crock. It's an absolute crock. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, so it's, it's mudslinging from both sides. And, you know, we need to move on. Uh, one of the things I'm quite interested in is uh, an overall political solution to adult social care. Yes. Which is, you know, as we get older, what's going to happen to us and who's going to pay for it? Um, they, they're talking about cross-party consensus on issues like that. And hopefully that'll be a way to slightly bring Parliament together a if bit. They, if they can year. solve that problem, I think they're in for a very long time. But let me read you this tweet that I've got from somebody calling herself Miss Sunshine. Please can you ask Katie what Boris is going to do for anyone who voted Remain? If he wants to bring the country together, he can't just ignore us forever. Well, I mean, before you answer that, I would say, well, actually... You have to ignore the fact that you are a Remainer, if you are now a Remainer, because it's all over. It's now the point at which you say, OK, we lost the fight, we move on. Similarly, if you, if you voted Labour and you've got a Tory government for the next five years, you just have to deal with it, don't you? Yeah, and also it's about you know, what kind of Brexit we have, what kind of trade deals we have. So people should move from their kind of stance against 
um, Brexit and, and saying that, you know, I'm a Remainer, Remainer till I die. They need to move to the issues they care about. For example, I care about kids that are unaccompanied in, you know, camps in Calais and elsewhere. Mm. And I quite agree with Lord Dubbs that we should be offering refugee, refugee status to some of those people. Now, Boris Johnson and Michael Gove and some of the others have indicated that, you know, with the latest withdrawal agreement that possibly they don't feel the same way that I do on some of those. Now, maybe they've got different plans coming up. Maybe they've got something separate within the Home Office or another plan of action is to potentially how to deal with those people. But rather than sit here and whinge and say, well, I'm a Remainer and I lost and that's it for the next 10 years, I'd rather get stuck into an issue that I care about. Yeah, exactly right. And also, it may well be that some of this stuff is positioning for future negotiations with the EU because that's still to come. And obviously, you want to have a few, you know, uh, cards in your hand, as it were, that you can play uh, if things get a bit tricky. I mean, what they've shown in the last six months is that these guys know what they're doing. They're strategic geniuses. They know they're, they're, they're one step ahead. They're planning for the future. They're not getting caught out at every different stage. I mean, Boris Johnson himself is not a um, strategist. So when those Tory rebels were fired, the team around him was saying, yeah, absolutely, this is the right thing to do. You have to show you mean business. He, that soft-hearted Boris, was like, no, 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 no. I've got to find a way back, mm. find a way back for them. They, reflecting back now, that was the right thing to do. That was a strategically. It might not be nice for some of my friends that I respect and like within the Conservative Party, but strategically, it has worked for them. And it hasn't so, done them any harm at all, has it? No. So moving, well, you know, the independent group, the change group, whatever they're called, they've oh, all they've disbanded. Been, they've been disbanded, haven't they? Because none of them got re-elected. I mean, would, so, you, would you be able to give them, if we were in a mood for giving out awards, as it's kind of near the end of the year? Perry Award. Worst, a Perry Award for the worst political party ever set up. I'm not sure it's the worst. Because I think you keep giving them a run from the money occasionally. Well, you keep still time. going though. And well, exactly, but that's the point. The fact is that no one run really... by a bloke called Dick Brain, I believe, <laughs> which is quite oh, hard to imagine, God. isn't it? It's do, true. It's do a true the story. Time, do you remember the time that you and me interviewed? Um, was it Jeffrey Bloom? Yeah, no, well, it was no, it was the other was guy. Um, oh, I can't even remember. Andrew, who it was. what's his name? Wasn't but it? All, I know that um, he didn't come off it well between you and me. That was yeah. a very fun morning. If it I remember, was in your studio. I think we finished him off actually. A bit like Femi. <laughs> I mean, finished Femi off as well. He's never been seen since the election. Oh, I don't know what's gosh. happened to him. But listen, um, Gerard Batten, that was his name, yeah. Was he, it? Yeah, he, he, he was the guy who decided it was a great idea to hire Tommy Robinson uh, as an um, advisor on rape gangs. Yeah, and you go, yeah. oh, that's a good idea, isn't it? And um, I remember taking him to task on the NHS and he, he said, well, you know, what we want is a better NHS. Yeah. And I said, is that it? Is that, it? Is that <laughs> your policy? So, you know, we've had some... You know, politics is uh, never boring, never dull. No. Uh, 2019 has showed, if we look back through the year, there's been some incredible moments. Um, and I'm looking forward to some stability in 2020 yes. where we can just get stuff done. Well, that would be nice. Now, you were in Downing Street with Theresa May and you left shortly before the 2017 election. Um, Dominic Cummings has said to a lot of the special advisers, you know, the big danger here is, is uh, complacency. You mustn't be complacent. You've got to keep, you know, pushing the ball up the hill and all this kind of thing. He, I understand, has said previously that he will leave once Brexit is done. I also understand he's got a, a personal thing coming up in the new year where he's going to have an, an operation or something. If he disappears from the scene, that's a big loss to them, isn't it? Yeah, but you can do a lot when you're not, you know, there day to day. Right. I mean, um, if he if he has the, the the secret is is that you have to have the power of the prime minister. Yeah. You have to have you know be able to speak with authority and know that he will back you. So you can command things. I mean, Dominic Cummings was very very smart during the election campaign. He said, "I want to." Um, make sure that I'm involved in the messaging. I want to make sure that I'm on the daily phone calls in the morning with the Prime Minister and with the, with the campaign team. But other than that, you know, you guys know how to run elections. You go and do what you're good at. 
And that is quite a skill to be able to delegate in that way and not be a control freak. And so I think that Dominic Cummings can have a really good positive influence on number 10, regardless of whether or not he is there day on, day out. He can be doing that by phone. He can be doing that by email. He can be doing that by appointing the people that he, he trusts to do some of the, the roles for him. So um, I wouldn't read in too much into it that all of a sudden, you know, the foot's going to be taken off the gas. They're not going to move at the speed they need to. They know that in order to have a legacy to go again, because Boris Johnson is not looking at this as a five-year plan. He's looking at it as a 10-year plan mm. in office. To be able to go again, they need a legacy in five years. They've got to get the money out the door and they've got to spend it on things that people want and there's tangible thing, differences to their lives. Absolutely right. Well, listen, have a great Christmas, Casey. Are you on at any point that we can say to people that they can hear you because uh, they were loving it last night? Oh, bless them. Well, check out the schedules. I'm on a, a bit over Christmas and New Year, so I'm hoping to, get to be able to speak to them too. I had loads of callers last night. It was fantastic. You? Yeah. Well, you know, I taught you well. You what know what? You I, well, you know, I, I, I talked about Scottish referendum and that was it. The, the, you know, it's, it's now the new kind of frontier. The phone lines opened and it went crazy. Everybody's yeah. got a view on Nicola Sturgeon and her bid to have independence another time. Yes. Another, another yeah, well, that's, and that's going to roll on for a while as well, I would imagine. Well, have a great Christmas. Merry I'll catch Christmas up with you in the new year and uh, we'll see you soon. Uh, Casey Perrier there, uh, absolutely brilliant woman, fantastic radio host, brilliant uh, super advisor to politicians, prime ministers, mayors, etc, etc, etc. If you see that she's on talk radio, make sure you listen to it. 0344 499 1000. We'll take your calls coming next. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And it's my favourite one so far. Apparently, uh, the burrito in this song refers to a little donkey on its way to Bethlehem. Even if you don't understand Spanish, it's hard not to smile while repeating the words tuki tuki over and over again. I don't know. I quite like Spanish uh, songs in general, though. I do. I've got a soft spot for them. I don't know what it is. I've got a Brexit playlist, you wouldn't be surprised to know, on my Spotify, which has got loads of really cringy and awful European music on it from bands I've never heard of singing in foreign languages. Quite funny. really upsets people when I play it. But there we are. Uh, let's talk to Di Davis, former head of the Royal Protection Service, former uh, superintendent of Metropolitan Police, of course, as well, because um, you might think that the police on the front line out there uh, are lower in numbers than they've been before, uh, are facing more and more danger because of the use of guns, the use of knives, the terrorist attacks that have been happening over the course of the last few years as well. It turns out that the figures uh, that we've got for the numbers of times tasers have been used have reached basically a record high. Di, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us and greetings of the season to you as well. Um, what's the reason for, the, for, for all this taser use? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Fifty years ago, when I was walking the beat, we had a truncheon and a whistle. Yeah. And something clearly has changed in 50 years, and I think the society as a whole is more violent. And accordingly, the police and others uh, require us to protect them. And if one of the ways to do that is to give them tasers as against the truncheon, then so be it. But if you look at the figures overall, it, it, 43 police forces in England and Wales, its averages are about 50 to 100 maximum, which when you think they're on 24-7, yeah. is very small in comparison to other countries. So I wouldn't get too alarmed. OK. 23,000 incidents in the 12 months up to the end of March of this year, which is up more than a third on the previous year. I mean, one of the things that I'm wondering about is whether um, it's a lot to do with drugs, because you see, I always think more 
uh, activity now in, in sort of different parts of the country where the police are kind of having a standoff with some individual who appears to be kind of crazed on drugs and there's only one way basically to take them down and that is, you know, to taser them. Yeah, you might well be right on that, particularly on a Friday and Saturday night, but also alcohol. I think plays the greatest part where yeah. people drink far too much. They get violent. They, they, they think they can get away with it. And of course, as I often say on your program and others, the judiciary are absolutely useless in supporting. Um, you know, you can thump a policeman and get a, a relatively small fine. Yes. We really got to wake up. And I hope this new government, and I think the Home Secretary, is committed to actually supporting the police and ambulance men and firemen. And nurses, it's just scandalous the way we allow yobs to hit our emergency services. Something's got to be done. Yes. Well, if the Queen's speech is to be believed, it's definitely going to happen because the sentences are going to get tougher uh, and certainly I believe they're going to bring in an immediate custodial sentence for anyone who attacks a police officer. So you might get your wish in this Parliament, die. Well, I hope so, but equally so. If you go to any casualty on a Friday or Saturday or on any night, Anyone who thumps a, police, a, a nurse or a doctor. You know, we really got to get tough with these jobs, these feral jobs who think they can get away with it. And yeah. these nunus who sit in magistrates' courts, let them get away with it. Oh, I know. Absolutely unbelievable. Do you think the fact that the police actually have tasers also encourages them to use them? I know that might sound like a bit of a daft question. But, you know, if, you've, if you're trained, because I think you have to be trained to use a taser um, and you have it at your disposal, you're more likely to use it. Yeah, I think that's a fair point on your part. Um, again, in my day, we, you know, you either talked your way out of it or you thumped your way out of it. <laughs> you know, and if you thumped me, trust me, I thumped you back yes. as hard as I could. And, and I guess I ended up in hospital because the other guy was tougher or bigger yeah. or there were more of them. And, and, and did that happen a lot when you were a police officer? Yeah, I got a fractured spine um, as a result of being kicked unconscious. And really? I, I used to be a regular in, because I'm fairly small, fairly bolshy. And, and in my day, you you came with me one way or the other. Yes. Incredible, isn't it, when you think how far the world has changed, really? I mean, because you and I have spoken before, I think, about arming the police, which which is always something that comes up whenever there's a violent episode, like there was on London Bridge just, uh, just last month, uh, when people talk about, um, you know, the need for police to be able to shoot an individual, as they did at London Bridge. It seems as though, in that case, the, the armed police response units worked pretty well. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, again, I'm against arming all police officers. There's not the need for it. But I'm delighted to see that the armed response capability in London and in other major cities uh, and hopefully everywhere is up to the task. And that's the way to deal with it. Arming police in itself, one, it's too expensive. Two, there's not the training. And again, we, we're going to recruit 20,000 police officers. Well, it's going to take a few years, even if they succeed in that figure. But the main thing is to support the police and support the emergency services. Uh, if you dare hit a copper or a nurse or anyone else doing their public duty, yeah. you will go to prison. And let's put you in prison for a little while so you learn the lesson. Well, one of the, uh, the things that always astonishes me is that, you know, while, I mean, I'm not in any way condoning it, you can understand people attacking the police, but attacking ambulance drivers and paramedics and firefighters just seems to me to be incredibly stupid and sick. Well, it's sick, it's illogical, and unfortunately we have bred a feral um, amount of people in this country. God knows, I think it's feral producing feral. Yeah. I'm sorry to be rude about that, the element of our society. But a like produces like, and they have no respect for anyone 
and they often aided and abetted by these idiotic MPs. Let's hope the new bunch are a bit better than some of the old ones. Well, they talk about liberty all the time. Well, the biggest liberty is for you and I to be treated in a hospital or a policeman to walk the beat on our behalf and not be thumped by a yob. Right. It says as well, just to, to continue with some of the stats here, restraint tactics such as handcuffing were the most common type of force and were used 401,000 times. Has that changed at all since your day? I mean, is it easy enough now to put handcuffs on someone or do they have rights that you can't somehow do that? Well, I, I think uh, sensibly, if they are under arrest, a bit like the Americans, automatically, other parts of the world, they put handcuffs on you and that might increase. And the, the problem is, is people want to have a go at you. Yeah. And I think, again, if you spread that out over 24 hours, seven days a week, through 43 police forces, again, it puts it in perspective. At the end of the day, the police are there to protect you and I. They're citizens in uniform. Mm. And we should do everything. And I'm delighted programmes like you really support the police. But you do get some who don't support the police and put an equal balance on this liberty nonsense oh, that some people keep crying out about. I keep saying the biggest liberty is for you and I to walk the streets or go out for a drink on a Friday and Saturday and not to be confronted by a yob high on drugs or things who thinks he can thump us. Well, exa well, exactly right. I mean, we ought to be able to feel confident enough to walk around the, our cities and towns and villages without fear or favour, really, didn't we? Well, that's, that's precisely what I'm saying. And I'm old school, you know. I, when I was at Southall as a chief inspector, I went there and everybody said, you can't touch everybody because it's racially sensitive. Rollocks. The Indians or anybody else, people, they want law and order just as much as the rest of us. Yes. And I think if you train officers to behave properly, firm but fair, as I hope I was, then people will respect that. And if they don't respect it, I don't give a sugar. No. Take them before the court and lock them up. <laughs> Quite right, Di. Listen, you should be in charge of the Home Office, shouldn't you? We're going to get you into London and introduce you to Pretty Patel and get you, get you organised for properly. Oh, tell me, I think we would speak the same language. But, you know... We elevate politicians. Most of these weren't in even in MPs four or five years ago. Right. Suddenly we give them wisdom. Yes. Old farts like me have been doing this for 50 years. Well, it's like all those people abroad. It's like all those people during the election campaign who were born in 1993 telling me how great the 70s were. And I went, well, I actually lived through them, so you know, I don't know what you've read, but it wasn't the way you just described it. But, Di, listen, thank you very much indeed. Di Davies, what a sensible man, former head of rural protection, superintendent in the Metropolitan Police as well. Um, he says... Yes, use the tasers. No, don't arm all the police. Yes, make the streets safer. Yes, recruit more cops. And yes, let's deal with these people who attack police officers and lock them up for a custodial sentence automatically as soon as they do it. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we thought this was the last show before Christmas, so what should we do? We should mop up some of the stories that we've talked about over the course of the last uh, year, more or less. We've spoken to Katie Perrier, we spoke to Nick Dubois, former Tory MP, so we thought, let's get our old mate Del Vince on to find out how he's feeling coming into the old crimbo season, because uh, he hasn't had a great year, to be honest. Dale, a very good afternoon to you. Yeah, good afternoon, Mike. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Are you? Yes. What have you got to look forward to? Uh, same as everybody else, really. Brexit getting done, the economy getting motoring, the NHS being saved, no chlorinated chicken coming this way. All the good <laughs> things that bon- Boris Johnson's promised. So so you are one of those people now who's become more rational over the course of the, the last period of the election because there's loads of people that I've met now who were Remainers who have said, look, thank goodness, now at least we know what's happening. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I would say that, uh, look, Boris Johnson's got the chance now to do everything that he's promised to do and to deliver all of these great things that he says are coming, this great historic opportunity for our country, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Let's see how that looks when the next election comes. I've got a feeling it won't look so great. Well, that's five years away, so let's not wish our lives away. I mean, I don't want to be five years older immediately. I've got got to enjoy the next two years first, you know. But the fact is, I mean, you did try um, legally to to take the Prime Minister to task. You know, one of the things as a result of that that I think they might do uh, is to uh, have a look at the Supreme Court, have a look at these what they call professional and political uh, sort of uh, decision-making processes that have been taking part in the courts of this country. So, in a way, you've actually created a situation where you might not be able to do that anymore. Well, yeah, just to clarify, at the top of your programme, you said I tried to stop Brexit. I didn't do that. Uh, Our core action was to make sure that Boris Johnson uh, complied with the law of the land as set by Parliament, which is that we wouldn't have a no-deal Brexit. And the Supreme Court, uh, or uh, it was actually the High Court in Scotland, looked at that and said, no, you know, you've you've got to... um, Basically, they made him promise that he wouldn't break the law. And I don't see any constitutional crisis in that. I mean, quite the opposite. No, but the Prime effect, Minister shouldn't break the law. No, but the effect of it was to stop Brexit. And unfortunately, no, no. that may not have been your intention. No. But because of what you did, it was once again kicked into the long grass. Well, I'm not going to take the credit for that because I don't think that's the case. I mean, it, it wasn't to stop Brexit. It was to stop a no-deal No, I know Brexit. that was your intention. But what I'm saying is the effect. sometimes the effect of, of your intended work becomes something else, doesn't it? Oh, no, I, I, I accept that. None of us were in control of that. But the action was to stop a no-deal Brexit, not to stop Brexit. And I don't think it actually stopped Brexit, but it did well, stop... Well, it clearly didn't, no. It stopped a no-deal Brexit. Yes. Well, well, well it, you, you might say that, but of course, if we get to the end of the transition period in December <laughs> uh, and then there's no deal, we're going out without that one. No, you're quite right. We may have only delayed a no-deal Brexit. <laughs> and I, I tell you what, I think that's entirely Johnson's plan, that we have a no-deal Brexit come December. Well, it may well be, but we shall see. What about you, your old mate, Julian Moore? How much money did he make from you this year? Oh, I haven't asked him. Haven't you? Well, you, you paid him, haven't you? Uh, I don't even know if we've done that. I don't even know what the bill was. Has he not submitted it yet? And I don't even know that. He keeps asking me to apologise to him on Twitter every time I suggest that he might be making some money out of something. He says, I don't make any money out of my good works. So if you see him, do give him my best. Have you got any plans to hire him in the new year for anything? 
Uh, well, no, we haven't got any plans. No, I mean, he does a lot of pro bono work, to be fair to he him. He does, so, yeah, and I've never suggested anything nah. to the contrary. But nah. the trouble with Jolian is he takes himself way too seriously. I think he should lighten up and uh, cheer up a bit. <laughs> we should all take a leaf out of your book there, Well, I Mike. think so. I mean, I nothing so. is as serious as life itself, in my view. Uh, you know? Well, and, and, no, I agree. I and agree. the fact that you and I can have these conversations, which are always good-natured and always funny and always enjoyable, and yeah. people have said already on Twitter, you know, oh, we're looking forward to Dale coming back on the show. You guys seem to, you know, have go backwards and forwards, and it's, and, it's all, and it's all fair in love and war. And that's how people should be. I agree. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing about the election that worries me most is not Brexit. It's about climate change. Yes. You, you know, you just mentioned there that it's not life and death. I mean, I think climate change is a much bigger threat to us as a country and us as a world. Uh, and it worries me that we won't do enough on climate change now because there's no real environment policy that the Tories yeah. have got. But you know what worries me about the whole climate change debate? And I'm, I'm with you on some of it, OK? But what I think is it's a bit like the Labour Party in the last election. Once they start promising you the world, people go... Well, you can't possibly do that, right? And I think with the climate change argument, once you get Extinction Rebellion, people saying to you that, you know, we're all going to die, Emma Thompson says we're going to be eating our own pets, you know, the world is going to end. <laughs> I mean, it's just over-the-top nonsense, right? So people like me and others who listen to this type of radio show will say, well, we don't, we don't believe any of it. And I think what, what the, the green lobby needs to think about is be more specific, you know, be less... Um, sort of scaremongery, you know, and actually do some things which people can believe in. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think the, the problem is, is in distilling a very complicated message. If you look at the science and the predictions of the models and the UN and that kind of stuff, it's a lengthy kind of uh, message to get across. And it gets distilled into something that's, uh, you know, much more existentially a problem, like, you know, we're all going to die. I get that. Yeah. It's, it's how you strike that balance. But I do think it is a very real problem. And the changes we have to make are enormous. And I guess it's easier for people just to say, oh, do you know what? That that can't be right, can it? It can't be the end of the world coming. Uh, let's let's ignore it. Yeah. But that's the point. You you know, I think if you made it slightly more understandable, it's a bit like when people listen to, to economists talking about billions and billions of pounds. And when we were starting to talk about the Labour Party spending a trillion pounds, nobody can take that kind of figure into their heads. They don't know what it means. They have no idea. And when people start talking about carbon footprints and, and pounds per, per square inch and, you know, cubic tonnes and all of this kind of stuff, people just kind of switch off, I think. And, I agree. And if you get them to be more... I don't know. What was that phrase that people used to used to say? You know, act local, think global, something like that. You know, yeah. do something locally, which you can do, which you can be convinced is a good thing to do, and you might actually enjoy doing it, whatever it may be, whether it's cycling to work or whether it's walking a bit more, or whether it's you know not burning something that you you could pr probably burn something better. You know, I think all of those achievable things, people could be convinced that it's a good idea. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that for a long time, environment messaging has been too complicated. The, the problem has looked too big. The, uh, uh, the advice has been conflicting and people are lost. And that's why we break it down into these really simple areas of life, energy, transport and food. And we say to people, it's how you power yourself, it's how you travel and it's what you eat. And if you work on those three things, 80% of all of the carbon issues and the problems are in there. We try to make that really simple for people and addressable by people. And I think politically speaking, so many of the parties, I mean, that we hear all the time from Extinction Rebellion that, you know, they're not doing enough. We want to tell the truth about climate change and all of that, which from, from the layman's point of view seems a contrary uh, statement because, in fact, this is the only government in the world that has committed to becoming carbon neutral by 2050. Now, you might say to me, it's not soon enough. Other people say, well, actually, it's carbon neutrality is not what it's all about. You know, there's so many conflicting kind of ideas out there. 
Yeah, but if you look at what the UN are saying, and that's based on the consensus, the global consensus of scientists, we've got 10 years to make radical changes uh, to avoid a carbon overload in the atmosphere. So 2050 is definitely not uh, soon yeah, enough. Yeah, but you and I have had this conversation before, because remember we talked about what the UN said in 1989, which was not that dissimilar to what they're saying now. And then, you know, we got to 2000, and it didn't appear to be as bad as they said it was going to be. Yeah, I think that would be a little bit of a, um, an unsafe thing to base the future of the world on, the fact that a very early model didn't, didn't work out. The, the most recent models have been validated. I read an article uh, just last week, actually, about that. So the models of the last you know, 10, or year, 10 years or so have been validated. They are predicting the impact of climate change really rather well. They are predicting, but it's a prediction. you know. And as we know with predictions, the only good predictions are the exit polls. I mean, all the, ex all the other polls that we had before the actual vote were not particularly accurate. The exit poll was very accurate because it was actually something that could be measured by people who were actually voting. And the but, similar thing with, with scientific predictions. Some of them are better than others. But they're being validated based on measurements based, uh, compared to predictions. They are being validated. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure what that means. I don't think anyone listening to this knows what that means. Validated by whom? Uh, by scientists. Right, by who believe in climate change? Uh, no, they believe in science. Do they? Yeah, of course okay. they do. Of course they do. Come but, on, you know, I've read a piece, and I think I pointed it out to you on the internet before, um, where they've decided to change the language as well, because climate change was decided to be not dramatic enough, and they've decided to call it a climate emergency because they think more people will take notice. And when you read that, you think, you know, that's not the way to play this. Yeah, but I understand why they do that. Like the term global warming, I've heard so many people say, well, what's wrong with that? Mm. <laughs> you know, I'd like the world to get a bit warmer. Yeah. And so that well, is a, that's a mistake. But that's a misleading term in itself, isn't it? So I understand why the language needs to change. And climate crisis is another uh, term that's been used now yeah. instead of uh, global warming and climate change. And I climate emergency. Now, climate emergency is the one we hear the most. And that's the one that has been manufactured by these same scientists who you claim are interested in science because they want people to stand up and take notice. I don't think that's true, Mike. I it think... is. I can show you the piece that I sent you before. Um, there, there is a statement by all the scientists who have actually admitted that this is what they did. Well, I think climate emergency came from Extinction Rebellion and I think it's been adopted no. by a lot of people. Well, there's a huge number of scientists, as you know, whatever the group is that's written to the UN, you know, there's two groups. There's a smaller group who don't believe in it and who think it's all a load of old cobblers and uh, the people like Piers Corbyn who says that the carbon is actually the part of life that we need, you can't do without it. But the ones who are on your side on it, they have issued a statement in which they, could, in which they absolutely say that we use the term climate emergency because it sounds worse. Yeah, but it doesn't mean they came up with it. I'm pretty sure Extinction Rebellion came up with it. Well, that's even more reason not to use it, though, because Extinction Rebellion are not actually doing what they should be doing. What they're doing is making an, an absolute mess of the climate argument because they're anarchists and they just want the end of capitalism, don't they? No. Have you seen, do. Have you seen the people that are taking part in climate extinction protests? We're, we're talking grannies, for example. People have never protested yeah, before make, in their that lives. that doesn't make them sane. I mean, there's plenty of crazy grannies out there who might want to, you know, demonstrate on behalf of a bunch of anarchists because they live in Somerset. But they're not anti-capitalist grannies, are they? Well, I don't know. You're the one that hangs out with them. Yeah, well, uh, let me tell you, they're not, then. <laughs> well, there's plenty of them that are, OK? There are plenty of people who have been sold down the river with this terrible, terrible... And children, particularly, which I think is disgraceful, who think that the world is going to end and they're not going to have any future. I mean, you know, Greta Thunberg goes around saying, you've stolen my future, you've, you know, you've hijacked my dreams. Really? She's making a fortune. I don't think she's making a fortune. And I don't think she's wrong to talk out in extreme terms about what is an extreme problem 
and a problem that's going to be owned by younger people, not today's older people. Yeah, but you see, that's a bit of an ageist thing to say, isn't it? Because no, people are now thing. saying, oh, you know, you old people, you're stopping us from, uh, you know, making progress <laughs> in the world. You know, why don't you just hop off? In fact, why don't you all just get a Dignitas and, and end it so we can take over the world? Well, I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I don't think they're saying that, but I love the way you've, you've coloured it. I think it's not ageist to say it because it's a matter of fact that it's the younger generation that are going to own climate change and live with the impacts of it. We're not. Well, well the, the younger generation, as has been said by many people other than me, are the ones now who have a young life which is littered with electronic devices, which is littered with luxury, uh, which is littered with the kind of things that, that I certainly never had when I was a child. You know, I had old-fashioned toys. I didn't have an iPhone when I was 12 years of age. I had a football, mm. you know? That doesn't make them responsible. Well, why don't they do away with all the gadgets? If they actually want to save the, pl the planet, stop demanding things that are bad for the planet. Well, the thing is, Mike, um, this goes to the core of some of the issues, doesn't it? The, the, the toing and froing. In order to live this greener life and lower carbon outcome and fight climate change, we do not have to go back in time 20, 30, 40, even 100 years. Some people talk in extreme terms like living in caves. That's just silly. But also the idea that we have to give up gadgets, that's just silly. Electric cars are a great example of an alternative to the internal combustion engine. They're zero carbon. Yeah, but they're, they're very fantastic expensive. Yeah, absolutely. But mobile phones were very expensive when they first came out. They're still expensive now. Mine costs 1,400 quid. <laughs> But you're lucky then to, to be able to afford it, but they're also very cheap. I'm renting it from Vodafone, oh, yeah. you know, who Look, claim in a couple of years' time I might actually own it, by which time it will be obsolete <laughs> and I won't want one. it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I that's, hear what the, you're that's the society that we have created, which the young people of this society are benefiting from. Yep, and if they, if they say they don't want that stuff, then it will be better for the environment, won't it? My point is, the stuff that's coming through, like electric cars, they are the low-carbon alternatives that can help us solve this crisis. We don't have to give up the way we live, the lifestyle, the relative quality of it. We just have to do it differently. Yeah, but you all are very rich people who can choose that life, can't you? You can choose to have an electric motorcycle, which most people can't afford, and you can tool around on it. You can own a, a green football club because you're a multimillionaire. That's great for you, Dale, and you'll have a lovely Christmas. But there's a lot of people out there who drive diesel vans for a living, who make 50, 60 quid a day and when they get banned from doing that they won't be able to make a living at all yeah that's a nice uh, that's a nice spin on it i get it but listen well, it's I, not, I, that's the truth i don't have a 1400 pound mobile phone though mike what sort so, of phone have you got so you're doing all right as well i don't have a phone you have no phone that's how right. are you talking to me are you some kind of magic image man who just I'm, talks I'm talk into the air and i'm it talking to you down an isdn line yeah right that's more expensive than my mobile phone no, it's not. Of course it is. How it much is it costs you to put it in? I don't know. This is the you see? This is the phone in the office where I do all my interviews from. But I don't have a mobile phone, is my point. Okay. Well, then, if you could do without one, you should be convincing all these Extinction Rebellion nutters to do without them as well. I'm going to start with you, Mike. Thank you very much. Luckily, I'm not in Extinction Rebellion, so you won't <laughs> be able to persuade me. I need my phone. It's part of my, my work process. I can't you're, be without it. You're in the Extinction Denial... Uh, that's camp. right, that's yeah. me. I'm yeah. an extinction yeah. denier. It's the yeah. first time it's ever been heard of. Listen, have a great Christmas, Dale. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk in the new year. You too. Take it easy. Dale Vince there. Uh, a man that won't be convinced um, that he's wrong. But he keeps trying. Uh, we'll, keep, we'll, keep, we'll give him credit for that. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's 12.33. It is Friday. It is time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards.
Interestingly, the ultimate Perrier Awards have the same music as the regular Perrier Awards. That's, I thought you might have something correct. different. Uh, I didn't have time. Welcome. Be told. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. And now after this, you're away for about three years or something, aren't you? Three weeks. Three yes. weeks. I'm going to Australia. Three weeks. You can't leave a job for three weeks. Yes, you can. Everything changes. It's Christmas. No, Christmas is one day. Yeah, that's true. Three but weeks? I, yeah. You had this sanctioned? Off. Yeah, it's been sanctioned. I mean, we could have moved by the time you get back. Moved again? Yeah. To where? Well, you never know, do you? I mean, a lot could happen in three weeks. Three oh. weeks ago, we weren't leaving the European Union. No, that's now true. Now we are. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. Get on with it. Cool. Well, hello and welcome to the ultimate Perry Awards Thank you. of 2019. Super. This is where we go back over the last year of the so-called Independent so Republic cool. of Mike Graham and choose our very favourite mm. moments. And of course, when I do say the best of the year, we do mean the best of the clip since around the start of April when we moved into our new studios. Ah, yes. and well, have we still not been able wiped. to retrieve the no, other ones? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Loads to get through. So let's begin. Okay. Uh, as is tradition, Mike, the first one goes to you Brilliant. and you win the award for sentence of the year. Well, the sun is shining uh, lovely uh, this morning. Uh, that's even a dreadful say, way to say that. Yeah, that's pretty awful, isn't it? <laughs> Top class Thank you. presenting Thank you very much. this year. Well yeah. done. Uh, now over to Talk Radio Weekend presenter Jamie East. He wins the Perrier for breast, uh, sorry, best pronunciation of the year. So then uh, it was a guy called, um, what's his name? Kerry, I'm gonna, I don't want to pronounce it wrong, Fukunagua. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that was correct I think he got it right. Yeah, yeah, hopefully he has. Kerry. Um, a real highlight now from mm. when we were down in what was then known as the Tent of Shame on yes. College Green. Mm. Um, a combination of you and Chris Bryant, MP. Oh, yes. You win Bill Payer of the Year. We haven't got time to get into all that, I'm afraid, because our time is of the essence. Well, there is a reason you can't, but anyway. No, there isn't. The reason, the reason I can't is because I have to go and uh, no, pay, no, I understand pay, that pay, pay the bills. That's why we have to stop. But you, if you want to hang around, we can talk about it some more. Chris <laughs> I'm not Bryan. paying your bills. <laughs> why not? Uh, I'm paying yours, actually. That's the other way around, isn't it? Chris well, Bryan's I'm probably here. paying yours indirectly by the companies I'm that paying I... yours through my taxes, mate. <laughs> I can tell you that. Chris I pay Bryan. taxes as well. Yeah, well, not enough to, to fund your own lifestyle, though. Let's not go on there. This is not getting anywhere. Chris Bryant is here, uh, and he's now going uh, to pay my uh, bill for me. It is true that we pay their bills. Uh, yeah, I because guess Because so. without us paying taxes, there would be no money to give to MPs that, that to is, pay tax with. That's factually Thank correct. you very much. Well done. Uh, you again, Mike. Yes. You win Family Man of the Year for this comment. Tremendous. I love travelling on my own because normally I've got a cart a whole load of people around with me who are inevitably annoying and extremely expensive. That's very true. And now I'm going to drive them all up to Scotland. Yeah, I feel like you Can you imagine the that. arguments? Did you just book a holiday when you said that, I um, Yeah, and well, I think, I think I had to go... I'd been to, either been to see my mother in America when I tend mm. to go on my own, or I had just, I was, had just booked that. I see. Mm. Uh, now, um, I can't for the life of me remember who this guest is because our archive systems are great. Uh, but she wins Karaoke Singer of the Year. She then declared that she was going to give all the money away. I suppose once you've given it, there's not much you can do about that, is there? There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, I suppose if she gave it away the very next day... The very next day, she gave it away. <laughs> Was that not Nadia Essex? Oh, it could be. Sounds like her. What do we reckon? A bit. Yeah, possibly, yeah. possibly. I have a very good ear for voices. Yeah, fair mm. play. Uh, now, Mike, all these next clips are taken from one show. OK. Uh, do you know they... who they, these are by? Yeah, oh, well it's, done. it's you. Uh, and they go to prove why you've won Repeater of the Year. Thank you. 
It is great to be back in the big chair after a brief sojourn across the pond uh, to Jack and our American brothers and sisters. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm back from America. I was in Connecticut seeing my mother, seeing my sister, uh, seeing my daughter. It was great fun. Uh, I'm back, though. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I've missed being here, you know. I have to say, it's very nice to be back from America. A guy tweeted me this morning and said, it's going to get a pound for every time you mention you've been in America. Well, no, you can't, uh, but I'm going to mention it probably from time to time. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm here. I'm back from being away. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for uh, all of your very thoughtful tweets to welcome me back. I'm not going to mention America too much because I know people get a bit wound up about it. Mm, you're telling me. <laughs> How come you didn't have anything from California in there? Uh, I don't know. It's just uh, probably because it was before April. Different clips, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, back to a caller now, back. who again, uh, unfortunately, will have to remain anonymous. Uh, they win the honesty of the week for their response to an MP's thoughts on a, propo a proposed Brexit policy. Mm. To be in the customs union but not in the EU is, is a slightly daft policy. And what do you make of that answer, Neil? I wasn't really listening, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, the... Neil, Neil, there we go. Neil. His name was in it. Neil, what did you say? His Neil name the was? caller. Neil. 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 Neil in Macclesfield. Apparently. Well, as in one nil. No, Neil. 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 With an E. Yeah, that's it's not what I nil. said. Neil. You're saying Neil. Neil? Can you do Charlton Nil? Charlton. South End one. Charlton Neil, right. South End one. Sounds exactly like Neil, doesn't it? Yeah, so what you say? Similar similar words. Uh Mike. Why not? One's got an E I and the other's got an I. You know when I said we had to keep this short for yeah. the Christmas Day pre -wreck. Oh, sorry, I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mike, uh, happy Christmas if you're listening on Christmas Day, Thank by the way. Thank you very much indeed. Or happy New Year if what you're listening on What are we doing on, on Christmas Day? Day? Well, we're here right. celebrating the best moments of the year. OK, fine. And, and this. Uh, Mike, you're a man of very wide knowledge. Thank you. Uh, it says here. Uh, just one string to your bow is science, of mm. course. Yes. Uh, you win Biologist of the Year. Brilliant. I decided I fancy 12 weeks off. Yeah. Have a word with a missus, we'll have a baby... I'll get 12 weeks. have to do more than have a word with her, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't say there's anything wrong with what can't I said. Can't that. Can't no. fault that. Uh, we, we rarely go a week without awarding a perrier for, for wrong naming. Yes. Uh, but who is the wrong namer of the year? I know, I know. this has been big talk. Is it, is it Neil? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's you, Mike, for oh. this car crash. Okay. Terry in Somerset, however, uh, would like to say something as well. Terry, hi. Hi, it's actually Kerry, but that's okay. I said uh, Terry, I, didn't I? I? What did I say? Oh, uh, Kerry. No, I said no. I definitely said Terry. It must have sounded like Kerry. Sorry, Terry. It is Kerry. That's fine. No, <laughs> oh, it's Kerry. <laughs> Sorry, I did say Terry. It's not. I thought you said it was. <laughs> I said Kerry, but it was in fact Terry. We should probably move on. I have Dear no idea God. what her name is. Now. Yeah, no. <laughs> what was on the box is what I want to know. Probably said Terry. Probably, yeah, yeah. wrong. It's probably someone else's fault, I imagine. I imagine uh, so. Over to the afternoon show now. Yes. Uh, Matthew Wright had clearly nipped out the studio for a wee, mm. but it's okay as Kevin's safe hands O'Sullivan, combined with a cameo from producer Ricky Freeshift, sorry, yes. Free Love, uh, were there to He's save off sick, the day. By the way. He is off sick. Uh, it's still not getting paid, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's how he likes it. Uh, they win the barrier for Smith. Move production of the year. With the half hour headlines, here's Rachel Jewell. We're back on! We're back on! Oh, were we? <laughs> I thought we were talking to Rachel Jewell. <laughs> Is that what's known as talkback? Yeah, yeah. It's the, yeah. Yeah, apparently what he did, Kevin took his headphones off <laughs> as soon as he said that. So we had to, uh, right. Ricky had to do the monitor um, talkback, yeah. which is good fun. That is uh, good fun. Now, uh, I didn't know that was possible. 
Yeah, yeah. We always talk to you through that. Yeah, no, I know, but I always assumed that it would only you could only do it when the Uh, mics were down. No, well, maybe that should be the case, Mm. but uh, never mind. Yes. Uh, Now it's time to remember our former political editor, Ross Kempsel. Who? Uh, No, me neither. Uh, He was sent to Darlington to follow the Tory leadership race. You never came back, you know. No. Well, (laughs) is he still there? uh, I think so. Yeah. Now, uh, so he's in Darlington at some venue, uh, and unfortunately, the Wombats weren't in town that evening. Don't call me Darlington. So, uh, so instead, you, Mike, had some suggestions leading to Ross winning the Lost for Words oh, yes. Award. I remember this. Now, I've got some good news for you if you've got a bit of time to spare while you're up in Darlington. Apparently, uh, there's a head of steam museum there, and also, if you're going to be around for a bit longer, um, at the Darlington Hippodrome, coming up, uh, an evening with Brian Blessed, the Little Mix Show which I think is a tribute act, and then In the Night Garden, which is a personal favourite of mine, Eagle Piggle's Busy Day. <laughs> well, when, when, when Jeremy Hunt uh, arrived in Darlington this morning, he... <laughs> he completely knocked him for six. Do you think that was what caused him to leave and go work for the Prime Minister? Maybe, possibly. Either that or Eagle the Piggle. Eagle Piggle thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, Mike, it's rare that you discuss Diane Abbott without making a little jibe about how she has a reputation for struggling with numbers. Yes. Uh, so who has won the Numbers Person of the Year? Me. Of course. Thank you. Because Boris Day 1 yesterday was exciting enough, today is going to be even more exciting because by the end of this show, Boris Johnson is going to become the fifth Prime Minister of this country. <laughs> the fifth Prime Minister of this country? I don't it's think not that's quite, quite right, correct. though, is it? No, there's what been is, a, what, what there's did been I mean to say? Seven. What did I mean to say? Uh, he's the new Prime Minister of this country. No, but he's obviously the fifth Prime Minister in something like four or five years, isn't he? Yeah, probably. No, surely not. So you don't know, do you? No, I don't. So you shouldn't have put that down unless you knew the real answer. Well, fine. You've made another blunder. No, I think it's your blunder, remember. You're the one who started the blunder. Okay, then. That's right. You do occasionally make a mistake on the show, Mike. Uh, But you're always first to hold your hand up, except then. Uh, This is the moment you won for correction of the year. Thank you. Because we've all got a dog. Well, not all of us, but lots of us have. (laughs) (laughs) I've got one. He's coming to Scotland. Is he? He's never been there before. No, so I hope he likes it. I think he will. He's going to love the flat sausage. <laughs> uh, our noble news team now. Oh, You're yes. going to enjoy this. They have been stellar for us this year, of course, mm. and also proud participant in a number of Perrier categories. Here are their best bits. A lucky Euro Millions winner in the UK has won £123 million, but has decided to remain anonymous. It's the third biggest British win ever. Queues westbound on the M62 through West Yorkshire due to a shed load of chicken carcasses around Junction 27 for Gildersum. Face the wrong way as the EU anthem Ode to Joy was played. The party leader was criticised for being disrespectful. Just to give you an idea of how bad it is, this is what happens when I try and go anywhere. <laughs> we, is, that, is that bad enough we, for you? We believe Good you. Morning, Labour is calling for an investigation into the sacking of the MP, Chris Williamson. Uh, I do apologise. I'm afraid my Burley screen, which is my computer screen, which has my news headlines, has completely gone blank. I could make up headlines for you, but I might actually get into trouble doing that. So I think what I'll do is I'll hand over to the business news. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. Blimey. <laughs> you would have, because it was in the Perry Awards. I must have done. Yeah, uh, um, there we go. Uh, I thought you were going to have the one where Rachel Jewell couldn't pronounce Rachel. 
Uh, well, it didn't really make sense in a montage, that one. <laughs> I, did, I did find it. Um, now, we can't go a Perry Awards without Very mentioning long, this, by a the special way. I you said someone. It to be short. Yeah, I know. Susan in Exeter. Doing? Well, you keep interrupting. Right. She wins. Susan in Exeter. She wins Feminist of the Year. Yes. Can this woman... I don't have an issue with women. I, I'm a woman myself. Are you? Um, well, yes. <laughs> the jury's out on that one, actually, because a lot of people are asking if it is, in fact, a woman that does ring in as Susan from Exeter, because other people have said that she come, sometimes rings other stations as somebody else. Really? Called Karen. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Did you not know that? No, no, okay. I didn't. Well, no, well, you do. Well, we'll have to get our top I'm team, not one of those people who doubt Susan no, from Exeter, of course, of course not. not. Uh, now, Mike, you're known each week for your impressions on the show. Here are some of the yeah. best of the year. We'll be talking to John Mann, Labour MP for Bassett Law, because Tom Watson came out over the weekend completely and utterly without the say-so of his leader, Mr Jeremy Corbyn, as he's now known whenever we mention his name. You're going to get wound up by an awful lot of Romani types coming out of the Tory uh, government saying, we can't possibly stay here any longer because we don't like Boris. Uh, he's a nasty man. He's horrible. Oh, you know, she's such a beautiful human being that oh, she, yeah, she cooks talker. all her own food. She doesn't even have a butler. You know, this seems to be the way that we now behave in modern society, egged on by the likes of Jeremy Corbyn, screeching at the top of his voice about making the world a better place for everybody. Uh, the only people who are working harder than the MPs are, uh, are Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, uh, who have got so much pressure put on them now that they're thinking about emigrating and leaving the country because being in the public spotlight is so hard to do when you're a mother. When the Luxembourg Prime Minister, whose name I can't remember, decided that he couldn't move the press conference inside and then gave a rather petulant performance outside about how, this is not my choice! I did not choose this! Well, fine! <laughs> the the <laughs> German Prime Minister of Luxembourg there, obviously. They're all very similar. And finally, <laughs> uh, who has won the much-coveted shutdown of the year? I don't know, me? It's not. It's friend of the show, Stuart Weir. We're going to talk to Stuart Weir, though, another man from that part of the world, because it turns out that there are now more churches in this country uh, than there are pubs. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether it would be safe to say that Stuart's been in more pubs than churches, but I would say that's probably right. Stuart, a very good e afternoon to you. <laughs> At least I know if it's afternoon or evening. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad. That's it for the Perry Awards for 2019. There will be more throughout 2020. Ultimate. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.